a Podcast One production. Hi, I'm Nat Kringudis. And I'm Cecilia Ramsdale. Welcome to The Wellness Collective, a podcast where we invite you to be part of our wellness community to share, learn and live better. Have you ever thought about being homeless and having a period? I know I haven't. And in this episode, we are going to talk about reasons why discussing periods and homelessness is something that's actually not that common. We also talk with Donna about how she was in the right place at the right time to create the period project, reasons why people become homeless, and it has far less to do with drugs and alcohol and more to do with circumstances than you probably think, and so much more. We hope you enjoy this next episode of The the Wellness Collective. I'm Hi, puffed. Nat. I'm puffed, Cecilia. I'm oh, puffed. I know. Just, I thought I was starting, and you, you're too puffed, and now you're starting. Sorry. I mean, it's we just right. had a bit of technical. You know, know, we love our line technology. That's right. Not, Why for, not girls. for girls. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I'd love that to not be true, but it does seem to be the case that we come up against. It's just all the little things, isn't it? Like I'm sure at the moment, 2020 would have thrown so many technical things at people that they had never thought of before. Yes, I think we're all but a bit also, sick of that, aren't we? You know, I feel like as women, we do. Oh, we do pretty well. We do. Pre- yeah. Well, I mean, I'm saying is that we're very capable. Can I tell you about? I'm sure I've said this before. My dad said to my mum a little while ago, I think you should learn how to look things up on the internet. And she goes, when you learn how to use the washing machine and the oven, I'll do that. Well, then I have my mum, (laughs) her answer for everything is, oh, you should just Google that. And I'm like, yeah, mum, we've been doing that for a while now. She's just like, last time I was home, which was quite some time ago now, mm-hmm. um, yeah, everything's like, oh, you should just Google that. I'm like, it's like it's revolutionary for her. Bless her. <laughs> we love her. We but love Carol. Don't don't knock looking up things on Google because well, that is actually how I found out about our guest today. Well, there you go. Mm. Maybe we could have our guest introduce herself. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Um, so I'm Donna Stolzenberg. I'm the founder and CEO of National Homeless Collective, which is a charity that incorporates anywhere between six and eight different projects um, across the country at any one time. Uh, the main one that we're known for is the period project, and that's probably how you found mm-hmm. me. Okay. Um, so the period project is designed to support uh, people uh, with menstruation, people who are experiencing um, period poverty, who don't have access to adequate sanitary items to manage their period. So we make sure that they have what they need and that they also have choice and what products they're using. I think it's amazing. You are 100% correct because, of course, when anything comes up with the word period in it, um, Natalie's ears prick up and mine do now too. Um, I did spend a lot of my life ignoring period things as much as possible, but no, not anymore. But, yeah, I saw it and I was like, this is absolutely amazing. I have Google Alerts set up for period. (laughs) (laughs) Amongst other things. (laughs) There you go. So I guess the interesting thing, like from our perspective, is often we've talked about periods quite a lot, but we've never really looked at this idea that there is inequality in the way that people deal with their periods. I have to admit, after researching and reading, I felt really, um, this is my line of work Mm. and I hadn't really thought about the depth of how having a period as somebody who is um, homeless or Mm -hmm. less privileged, Mm -hmm. um, I've never really thought about it. Now I'm really embarrassed to admit that, but just in full vulnerability, um, yeah, I I never even had, had... yeah. In my wildest dreams, that come uh, into my mind. But Donna, maybe you could start by telling us how the Period Project came ab- about. 
Sure. And you know what, that's a really common reaction that I experience with people who first find out about what we do. There's that sense of embarrassment and almost blame where they'll say, oh my goodness, I didn't know. I feel really bad that I didn't know about this. And that really comes from the fact that we're not having those robust conversations about periods enough. And we're also not discussing homelessness with Mm. regard to women. Now, we we support all people who menstruate. So we support non-binary people, trans men, uh, but it, it, obviously the majority of the people that we support are women and we kind of see homelessness as being that old man on the street corner. Yeah. And when you've got two things that you don't talk about, you've got periods that we aren't having those discussions about and homelessness, uh, especially with regard to women, you put those two together and you've got a giant nothing that no one's ever having conversations about. So there shouldn't be any guilt around that. It really should be, well, now we know better, we do better and let's have those conversations and make sure that everyone has that um, equality when it comes to menstruation management. I mean, I was working uh, supporting vulnerable people for a good six years or so before I started this charity, and it wasn't until I saw a woman on the street who was sleeping rough outside Flinders Street Station, and I'd given her a sleeping bag, and then she asked me for some tampons because she had a period, and she had literally nothing to use. And then the only thing that she was going to be able to do was be to go and steal some items. But she'd recently been released from prison. So if she even stole so much as a packet of tampons, she would have gone back into remand that night and she would have been back into prison, back into court. And um, she had an access visit the next day with her children uh, who were in foster care. My husband and I were foster carers for quite a number of years. So I knew exactly what missing that appointment with her children was going to do to her. So I got her the tampons and then started to have a look to see if anyone else was doing anything like this and couldn't find anything. So on the back of the charity that we were currently running, which was mainly about sleeping bags and blankets, we decided to start the period project. And that's where my knowledge really started to form uh, around period poverty because I didn't have much knowledge of it before then either, but I've certainly learned a lot along the way. Donna, what beautiful synchronicities for that event to happen with your background, with your knowledge, because mm-hmm. even something as, um, you know, tricky to navigate as, as being a foster, you know, as someone that is foster facilitating parent. that, a foster parent, I guess you call that, um, if it was possibly anyone else, that would never have, have eventuated. So it's a, it's a really um, incredible story as to how you've come to where you are now. It really is. And I'm a firm believer in looking for the opportunities that are presented to us at that time and really taking notice of what's happening around us. And I think at that point, had it been someone else, I feel that they would have been just as generous and would have bought the tampons, but it was probably going to be the end of the story. And she wouldn't have been the first woman to have uh, sanitary items purchased for her, you know, who couldn't afford to get them herself. But no one sort of picked it up and decided to let the world know we've got this, this massive problem. And it was only because I was working in this space, I understood the importance of that reunification with foster children and their parents, that I realised that this was going to be a problem far beyond this one period and this box of tampons. Mm. I think um, also too, I I love that you were talking about homelessness because the idea of homelessness just, it makes my blood run cold. I just think that that people are in that are in that situation are so brave. I mean, it's it's incredibly difficult, and often they're unseen, as you say. And I don't go around the CBD very much, um, but when I do, I usually try and keep a few coins. And I always look for women. I think if there's, you know, because like you say, I feel like for women, it, it's just that the safety levels and and everything that's associated with that. 
How do they step out of it? Is this just one way of helping them step out of the homelessness? Yeah, look, definitely women are more vulnerable when they're on the streets. They're much more vulnerable to assault, to sexual assault. And um, very often those assaults go unreported because women who have mental health issues sadly don't make great witnesses in their own um, rape cases. So they'll often drop the charges or the charges aren't picked up. So they definitely are more vulnerable. This is why you'll often see a lot more women with pets, like with dogs as well, because those dogs offer that protection. And they're often judged for that. People are like, well, if you can't afford to feed yourself, why are you feeding a dog? And not understanding that this dog is actually companionship, it's loyalty, it's protection at night time. And it's a visual to any predator that might come along that this person isn't as, you know, as vulnerable because they've got this dog there. But we, we do tend to overlook women in homelessness. People think that because you're a female that you'll automatically get priority housing or the biggest myth out there is that everyone's got somewhere to go. Mm. And not everyone does. Even myself, I've got no family here in Victoria at all. I don't have anyone, you know, the closest family I've got is in Perth. That's where I'm from. And should anything happen to me, I might be able to rely on some friends, but I haven't always lived in Melbourne. So if I came down here and and lost my job or something happened, I would have been just as vulnerable as anyone else. And we are all only one or two paychecks or one accident away from homelessness or one illness. We see a lot of uh, people suffering from chronic illnesses like cancer who can't work once their treatment starts and don't have that financial backup or anywhere to go. So they end up on the streets. So they they come in from many different pathways. It's not the typical... um, scenario that people think it's, oh, it's drugs and alcohol. Well, you did this to yourself. And it's just not true. That actually accounts for very, very few cases of homelessness, of chronic homelessness. Yeah, I don't think we'd think about that at all, do we really? Uh, I, again, guilty of not really understanding um, why people become homeless. I think we assume, though, that, that there are safety nets for people that we are a smart enough country, that we do have access to healthcare, that if you did have cancer, that you wouldn't be in that situation. But it isn't, as you say, it isn't true. It's not true. And those safety nets are not there. We assume they are. And because we assume they are, we don't do anything about it. Mm. People get complacent. We think, oh, well, if something happens, we've got our government, they look after people. Uh, I've had many conversations with Uber drivers who, uh, when they ask, you know, what do you do? I run a charity, support people experiencing homelessness. The next question is, well, why don't they get themselves out of it? You know, I came from a poor country. I I got myself out of it. And they don't realise that our government isn't actually that forthcoming in providing those solutions those long-term sustainable solutions. We've got uh, basic temporary uh, crisis housing, but it's a merry-go-round. They'll go in for a couple of days and they'll come out, in and out, but there's no long-term suitable solutions for everybody that goes into homelessness. And this is why we see uh, you know, the same people recycling in and out. period project how does it actually work do you get donations do you um and then how do you distribute it what's the process it's a bit of everything. We uh, we started, uh, the majority of the donations that we get come from the public. And as we've grown and expanded, we've had to change the way that we operate. But we originally started with people volunteering to act as drop-off points all around Melbourne. And we had about, I think about 80 and then ended up 120. About, we ended up with about 155 different drop-off points. So if you wanted to donate some tampons or pads, you could go anywhere in your suburb and there'd be probably three drop-off points per suburb. So there'd be someone 
close by that you could donate to. And then we would drive around on weekends and pick up all of the donations or volunteers would come and they'd kind of do that domino effect. Like if you're a drop-off point, you drop off to the next suburb and they would drop off to the next suburb. And um, that worked really well for a number of years, but then we got too big and we couldn't keep up with the amount of donations coming in. So we kind of just went to, well, we have our base in Brunswick East now. So we just asked people to get them to us somehow, get a friend to drop them in or people donate and then we buy them. Um, And how we disperse them is in quite a few different ways. So we walk the streets, we find the women, and with those women we make sure that we also give them information about uh, food services nearby, accommodation, which numbers to call, um, DV support, things like that, make sure they're okay. We have a duty of care to make sure these women are connected to other services because we are not a front door service. We are not a service you can come to if you are seeking that support. We don't have housing officers and AOD workers and social workers. We connect the people on the street to them. But we also work with approximately, I think, about 55, 60 different organisations around Melbourne and make sure that those period packs that we make are delivered to those organisations so they can uh, get them out. And what that does, it, it expands our numbers. So our volunteer force is, you know, magnified by 55 times because uh, other organisations that we partner with are reaching people in Lilydale and in, in um, Wallen and places like that. We are a small team. We can't get everywhere. Another misconception is that our charity is as big as the Salvation Army and we're not. <laughs> we're actually really quite small, but we're very, very effective. But we rely on those already other established organisations to help us reach the people so we can reach more people. Donna, what's in the actual packs? So what we've done with the packs, we originally had six different packs and then uh, that was when I had no idea how big we were going to be. I thought I'd be making (laughs) maybe 20 packs a month from my lounge room and that would be it, but we kind of escalated really quick. So the packs are designed to support somebody who doesn't have access to a bathroom. So we keep in mind that many people are sleeping under a bridge. Another misconception is that there are always public toilets open and that they always have facilities like soap, toilet paper, which is not true. They're often locked at night. So what we do is we think, okay, well, what if I was, say, out camping and I needed to manage my period? What would I need? So we put in uh, pads and tampons depending on the pack. So it's a, a poppy pack has all pads, which has 10 super pads and 10 regular pads. We have 10 liners in there as well. So if you can't change your underwear because you don't have access to a washing machine or you don't have any spare, a liner is the next best thing. So you can use that and change that. We have wipes. If you don't get have access to a bathroom or running water, you've got the, the moist talent wipes, the baby wipes. We have disposable bags in there so the used product can be disposed of adequately and not tossed into uh, the bushes or a bin, mm-hmm. um, you know, that... What we're trying to do is minimise the risk. So if you've got someone who is sleeping under a bridge or safely tucked away somewhere and they're changing their pad at 2 o'clock in the morning, we don't want that person going out and looking for a bin because then they're exposed and their secret space that they're hiding in is now exposed and people can follow them back and that just brings danger with it. Also, if it's raining or, you know, the weather's terrible, we don't want them wandering around looking for a bin. We also don't want them disposing of the product in the bushes or just chucking it out. Uh, Used products are quite messy, so it's important for us to put the bags in there and the person can just tie it up. It alleviates the, the leakage and the smell and then they can dispose of it the next day or whenever they can get to 
a bin. We use the nappy bags that people put yeah, their nappies yep. in. And we used to put a little Freddo frog, like a little chocolate in there, <laughs> a lolly or something, which is a really lovely touch. But when the packs left our hands, we had no control over how long that chocolate was in there, if Melted. it was sitting in the heat. Yeah, it was chocolate soup by the time the person got it. And um, off, or the chocolate would solidify again and be white and horrible. So we actually decided to take those oh, out. Oh, that sucks yeah. because, you know, when you've got your period, a Freddo you frog is exactly what you want. Yeah, Freddo frog's like a, five, like a star. Like, you know, when you had the five stars as kids, it's like a reward yeah. for something. Um, oh, look, it was sad to take them out. We, we went with Skittles for a little while, but um, it just wasn't practical for us to do that anymore. So we don't actually add those in. So we have pads, we have tampons, we have liners, we have wipes. Uh, we sometimes put hand sanitizer in there depending on where the pack is going. Uh, we can't put hand sanitizer in where packs are going to youth because it actually has alcohol in it. Mm. So that was another legal thing that we actually had to, um, mm. to be careful of. So, yeah. And these have distributed all around Melbourne? Yeah, they're all around Melbourne. We actually work with the Primary Health Network, which is a subsidiary of the Department of Health. So we also include things like cervical screening uh, pamphlets in several languages because people who are uh, experiencing homelessness or detached from society are much less likely to go for their screening and have their breast screening, bowel screening, cervical screening. So we're now putting packs, uh, putting these pamphlets into packs. So there are certain areas around Melbourne where we're then watching and seeing how many people um, choose to then take that on board and go and get a mm. pap smear and we have found that we have seen an increase so that that program's actually working we put in uh, information about um uh, phone numbers that people can call if they're experiencing homelessness if they need shelter if they need support with domestic violence so we also make sure that people have access to that information as well so that we're facilitating that connection. But they do go all around Melbourne, yeah. Sometimes when they leave us, we kind of don't see what happens to them, mm. only because um, the, the organisation will be ringing us up a week later and can we have some more? So that's how we know that they're effective and the feedback that we get from the organisations is like, oh, they're walking out the door, people are desperate <laughs> for them. So, yeah, so they pretty much go everywhere. What's the um, overall effect that you have seen from giving people the dignity of not having to deal with periods and not having the equipment to deal with it? The main word that surmises what we see is connection. We see that people are then able to connect to other services. If you've got your period and it's not managed and you're free bleeding everywhere, you can't go and get food. You can't go and, you know, walk around and look for support and help. You're forced to steal or forced to steal clothes or forced to steal money. But apart from the the dignity that it gives, it gives people that choice to then move forward in life and be able to connect to those services and places that they need. And it stops that barrier of an unmanaged period. Uh, when we when we speak to the people that get the period pack, what what they are sort of telling us is that it may, what it means to them is that somebody out there does care and somebody is thinking about this and cares enough that they have adequate menstrual management, which is a huge deal to people because we think you think homelessness. The first thing people will go to is I offered them food. Mm-hmm. I went for food, food, food. And people forget that everybody's offering food and there's only so much you can eat and very little places for you to store food. But we don't think beyond that. We think, well, if I was homeless, I'd want food. And we don't think, oh, maybe I'd want some tampons or a pad or yeah. something like that. So they really appreciate that we are thinking of those finer details and putting things in the bags like the disposable bags and the liners and the wipes as well. 
I like I loved to learn that the different packs were obviously also appropriate for different ethnicities or ages. I hadn't cultures, thought about that yeah. cultures. Um, but I wanted just to I probably should have asked this before, but if they're not using a pad or a tampon, what are they using? So what people will use is another sort of inadequate form of uh, something to soak up that menstrual flow. So it's often clothing. They'll use T-shirts, rip them up. Uh, We often hear of people who go to laundromats and look for an odd sock that's left behind in a dryer and they'll use that. We've heard of women using leaves. The worst thing we've heard of, which happens unfortunately quite a lot, is that women will wash out and reuse items. Mm. So they'll have a tampon, they'll rinse it out in unsterile water, squeeze it, try and dry it as much as they can and and reuse it. And Or they'll just bleed through their clothing and then try and get, you know, somehow get more clothing. But they're going through their other clothing using other pairs of underwear or socks or T-shirts or anything they can get their hands on, even leaves. I've heard of women putting leaves in their underwear uh, very comfortable apart from anything uh, else. Uh, exactly. It's it's absolutely terrible. But public toilets and toilet paper, that toilet paper is not absorbent. It's not meant to be a pad. And that's another thing we get from people as well, as well is, well, why don't they just go to a public toilet and use toilet paper? That'll do. It's like, have you ever tried to use toilet paper? But it's interesting, like, you got isn't five it? minutes. Like yeah. it's the perfect example of how if you just take a second to try and put yourself in someone else's shoes, you can see the difficulties that they're up against. What's the show on SBS where they... they Filthy, get, rich and homeless. Yes. Yeah. Even watching the promos for that makes my skin just just prickle because and I think it goes back to I lived in London when I was in my 20s and it was the first time in my life that I knew what it was like to be poor like really poor and it was because I didn't save enough money before I went I was on this adventure I spent too much I didn't earn enough and all of a sudden I was like I'm in a big city that is gonna eat me alive if I can't survive and I managed to get through it but the I went and looked at a few houses like share houses to live in and it was it was awful really awful. But I think it was a great eye-opener for me because it made me look at people who I do see in situations that are on the street or what have you. And I and I, I read their signs and I try to think about what their situation is. And if there is a moment that I can help, I, I always look at it that way. Yeah. And it's a matter of looking through that person's reference point and not our own when we see someone on the street, and I, I get this feedback from people all the time, we, we will think about what we will do mm. if we were in that situation. If I was in that situation, I would A, B and C. You know, I would call my mum, my sister. I would do this. I would go back to my boss uh, and get some work and not really remembering that the person who is on the street is there for a reason. Perhaps they had an accident. Perhaps they're sick and can't work. Perhaps they have lost all the contacts with family and friends and they don't have those avenues that, that you take for granted. And their world looks much, much more different than what ours does. So we really can't assume that that person has those avenues available to them. And the best thing that you can do for someone that you do meet who's experiencing homelessness is ask them, what can I get for you? What can I do for you? Rather than here's a coffee or, you know, Mm. here, I bought you this. Like Mm. they might not like coffee. Uh, Mm. They might be (laughs) lactose intolerant. They they might have had 10 coffees and there's no toilet available. There's a thousand reasons people don't want coffee. Yeah. Um, 
but we think, okay, well, I'm homeless. I, you know, if I was homeless and cold, I'd want a coffee. That would warm me up. And we forget other people have just been there. Someone else might have bought the coffee. I remember once, just a quick story, but it really hits home. I was on Swanston Street and I was sitting there chatting away to one of the ladies who is, is a regular on the street. And I was sitting on the ground talking to her and this gentleman came up, lovely guy, and he had two uh, sausage and egg McMuffins. And he handed her one and handed me one. And I said to him, oh, no, I'm, he goes, no, 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 I, I know. And I'm trying to talk to him, but he kept showing me. He goes, no, no, I, I know you're not homeless. I know you're not. I just thought you'd want one as well. And he walked off. And what I was trying to say to him was, I'm vegetarian. <laughs> and he, he just wouldn't listen. He's just like, he's, he's doing this wonderful thing. That's right. Yeah. And he would not listen. Oh, gosh. Yeah. And he, he, to him, it's like, oh, you know, if I was on the street, I'd love a sausage and egg McMuffin. So I'll get these ladies one. And didn't realize that I couldn't eat that because I don't eat meat. So, mm. and it, then we get there, well, their beggars can't be choosers, but, you know. But it's also oh, an interesting story. way of looking at people's generosity. I think, you know, people do feel like they're trying to do the right thing, but as you say, it can be misplaced. Well, I think it's so, good to have these conversations so we can be a bit out. more open-minded. It's, you know, no different to when we talked about miscarriage and we're like, well, what do people really need or want to hear? Yeah, then we yeah. get to have these conversations to open this up even more. <laughs> I want to yeah. know that, you know, obviously you're a strong woman that sees something and knows how to get it maybe um what's been your experience with that and and just for other people to be able to learn like we all have ideas all the time mm. and I think a lot of us go oh gosh that's that would just be I too hard or where would yeah. I even start or you know how is it that you were able to do that what do we need more of as not just humans but women I think in that position <laughs> actually yeah yeah, I think my answer to that is don't wait till it's perfect. People will not start something because they can't see the end model yeah. and they want to plan it out and go, well, uh, you know, what if this happens or what if that happens or what if they don't donate? You know, I could have said, well, I might collect donations. But, oh, what if people don't give me any? Oh, people probably won't. Mm. I won't do anything. Don't wait until it's perfect. If you see that there is an injustice or something's going wrong, first of all, check is someone doing something already we have so many replications of charities that we end up with a glut of donations. But isn't and that interesting that you you looked and there wasn't anything in this space? Because I think quite often you do go, oh, there must be something that covers yes. that. I think that's our default. And then, oh, surely someone's surely done this already. So, I mean, it's obvious to me. Yeah. So, yeah, but no. Yeah. Exactly. We And the fact that this woman asked me for tampons, I thought if someone is doing something, there's a connection problem because she doesn't know about it. Mm. So maybe I need to be the facilitator of the connection between the service and people like this lady who've exited prison. And when I looked around to see what was being done, there was nothing. There were two uh, charities operating in Perth and Adelaide, but nothing else. So, and they didn't have, so I, I was searching period, this period, that menstruation, but they didn't have that in their name when we started the period project. And that was another thing I wanted people to start talking about periods. I wanted to slam that name right in the middle of it. So we had to have that conversation. And I've had people have a go at me for that. Oh, you know, why couldn't you call it something that's <laughs> a little bit nicer? Like, you know, or I get, well, why didn't you call it the menstruation project? I'm like, oh, you difference know. difference does it make between we, period we, or menstruation? It's still... <laughs> <laughs> period tends to be the go-to word, yes, you know. We, with, I grew up with three sisters and my mum talked about when we get our period, not when we would start menstruating. We knew right. the technical term for it, but I knew that there was a, a problem, there was an issue. I looked around. I didn't want to replicate something or start a charity that wasn't necessary, but I couldn't find anything. 
So I decided just to put the call out and see what would happen. And if it just meant that, you know, once a month I was making up 20 packs in my lounge room forevermore, well, so be it. That's as big as we get. But it turns out that there was a need for what we did and it was far, far bigger than what I thought. So I was working for the tax office at the time. I worked for the ATO. And within about three months of starting the charity, I had to quit my job because the charity got so big. So good. I want to say what a shame because yeah, no, I think I it must like, be oh. <laughs> hard slog working up here. No, don't listen, ATO. <laughs> <laughs> um, can anyone volunteer? How do you, how does that, I'm just thinking, my brain's now going 100 miles an hour of like young women being able to contribute because I would love my daughter to be part of yeah. something like that to see because I'm sure that we all take it for granted to be able to go to the bathroom and mm-hmm. be clean and feel feel comfortable having a period. I, I can't imagine it being any other way. So how does that process work? Can anyone help? Do we need, you know? Yes and no. But again, our idea of what that help looks like is vastly different to what we would actually need from you. We kind of think, uh, I, it, again, the go-to for me is people will say, oh, I want to come and hand the packs out. I want help hand the packs out. I actually don't need help with that because I've got a thousand people lining up to hand the packs out. There is a lot of grunt work going on behind the scenes where we really need people to step up and help there so that the packs can be made in the first place so the packs can go out. The reason that we stopped doing the drop-off points was that I couldn't find enough reliable people who would commit to picking them up and bringing them in and I couldn't go to 180 houses every weekend and pick up their donations. So we need people to commit Uh, regularly, but it might not be that frontline work because that frontline work, I'm very protective of who we let out there. Yeah, absolutely. I've had people, yeah, and, you know, we we say we, you know, I want to teach my my son, my daughter, whatever about, I've got five sons, believe me, they know all about periods Mm -hmm. now and they build their their, their forts with um, Libra boxes and, you know, (laughs) they're, they're very, very much into, they know exactly what happens, but they didn't have to come out on the street with me. To learn about that. We had those conversations and we have to be very careful and, and I don't mean this with any ill intent, but we will often want to have that person who's experiencing that disadvantage as the lesson for okay. our child. We don't realise. Voyeuristic that, arrangement. Yeah, and we don't realise we're doing it. And the people that we support are not the lessons for those we want to teach. So we have to say, okay, if I want to teach my child about war, I don't need to take my child to a war-torn country. Um, If I want to teach my child about sex, I don't need my child to watch someone having sex. Like we can have those discussions uh, without actually putting the child at the forefront of what Mm. that situation is. So there are many ways to learn. And one of the things that we do is homeless awareness sessions. We have schools come in to the Carla space, which is our op shop in Brunswick East. And we do awareness sessions about homelessness there. We have corporates come in and it's about a two-hour session depending on how long um, people have. And in that session, you make up some period packs as well. And we talk about why we need this. It's a much more in-depth discussion, why we need this, how it started, what the future goals are, why we've changed some things, what we've learned along the way, and it becomes an entire big story. And people go away from that understanding so much more about homelessness, not just about menstruation and homelessness, but all aspects of homelessness. And they get to make some packs up. And we ask people to do a donation drive beforehand so that you bring some sanitary products in and your sanitary products will become the, in, you know, the packs that we make up. Brilliant. Or people donate financially. Every charity 
is a business that doesn't make any money. We have the same overheads. We have people say, I want to donate money, but I don't know where it goes. I'm going to donate product instead. But they forget, who's paying for the petrol for Mm, me to drive these packs out? The public liability, the volunteers insurance, you know, all that sort of stuff that we actually have to cover. So Mm. if we want to run an effective modern day charity, we have to have the funds to do that. We are talking across Zoom right now. We are talking on a laptop. I'm on a laptop and I've got a camera. Who paid for that? Mm. You know, that sort of thing. People don't realise that, okay, there's all these other things. So we appreciate people doing fundraisers, people doing product donation and then coming in and learning about homelessness. But we also need people to volunteer in other areas. We have, uh, you know, someone who volunteers our social media, uh, graphic design. Uh, There are all those other things. We have to get out there. You saw us on the internet, but how do we get on the internet? You know, all the stories that are on MPP are all me behind the scenes, but all of the other ones, I rely on other people to donate their time to do that. So there's many, many different ways. Um, And as I mentioned at the start, the period project is one of um, about six projects that we're currently running. So we've got all the others. Look at you, just like amazing. Put another one on Yeah, why not add another one to the list? Where can our listeners find more about your work, Donna? If they go to NH Collective, our charity's registered name is National Homeless Collective. The period project is a project that we run underneath that name. So we're nhcollective.org.au. And on that website, you will see all of the projects that we run, plus the latest of what we're up to, all of the individual support that we offer to people. We're even doing grocery baskets for people. Mm. Uh, We have many other projects going on, but they all tie in. Everyone that we support needs support from one, two, or maybe three of the projects that we run. And people can choose a project that resonates with them and donate specifically to that particular project if they like to, or we have just a general um, donation portal as well. Just before we go, can I just ask you quickly, um, with uh, the joys of 2020, it has shone a spotlight on homelessness and do you think that there will be a big change after this year, like a positive change? I certainly hope so and I do believe that there will be. This The homelessness has been thrust into the spotlight yeah. now because of COVID-19. We cannot isolate people who have nowhere to live So they've now been placed into hotels and we've got teams going out and bringing meals to them. And uh, the Andrews government has actually said what's going to happen to these people once this is over. We are not going to turn them back onto the street. So they've made a commitment to invest in social housing and also invest in rent relief schemes to make sure that the people who are currently housed in hotels are given long-term permanent and suitable accommodation. Mm. Suitable is a key word there. It must suit the needs of the person. And they are investing in that, which is fantastic to see. We have over a thousand people every night sleeping in the CBD and that really needs to change. So I'm hoping that that commitment stands after this pandemic is over or that we're managing it effectively. And I really hope that people understand as well that homelessness isn't just the people on the street, overcrowded dwellings. We've got people who are couch surfing Mm. and people who are staying in inadequate accommodation. All of those come under the banner of homelessness and we support all of them. It's not just the rough sleepers that we support. 
got warm fuzzies now. You gave me cold shivers before, now I've got warm fuzzies. It's good. <laughs> Thank you so much, Donna, for coming on the episode today. I have had my mind opened. It's good. Once yeah. again. Oh, I know. Yeah, Look, I just absolutely. get my can open and I'm like... <laughs> yeah, good. Yeah. Good, good. <laughs> it hey, has been good, yes. Guess what, Cecilia? Oh, look, Nat gets very excited, Donna, when we get a review. Woohoo, go we on. Just, we've got Ooh. a few new reviews. Oh. People have actually been <laughs> listening and, well, we know that they listen, but like anything, they donate then just pick well, you the need phone the feedback. up. Yeah. And, yeah, pick the phone up and just like use your little fingers for five stars and then leave a review. <laughs> it doesn't have to be very long. But listen, this one here is pretty cute. Yeah. And it's titled Time with the Girls. I think the girls is you That's and me. Us, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I love listening to your podcast while I'm exercising or stretching. You guys are so much fun. I want to thank you for all the knowledge, inspiration and laughter you bring me. The topics you explore are real and relevant. I feel empowered to take charge of my life and make the best decisions for my body and me. Good. Cute. That's what we're aiming for. Love it. Wow, there you go. Well, I think today's will add to that, so that's good. Yeah, we'd love for you to leave a review. Tell us your favourite, you know, episode Mm -hmm. or even from this episode what you loved um, hearing. We love your feedback. Well, we need to know because, you know, otherwise we're just going around in our own little loop, aren't we? (laughs) we Hang on, let's be honest. We do this for ourselves, not anyone else. (laughs) For our own laughs and our own knowledge. Absolutely. Donna, thank you so much for joining us. Good luck. And I I reckon I'm going to get involved. I don't know whether I'm just buying like 100 more packs of tampons next time I go shopping Mm -hmm. or I'd love to come and pack some packs Mm -hmm. and packs. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for having me. It's been really wonderful and thanks for helping us to shine a light on um, period poverty as well. Uh, let's hope more people understand um, how big a problem this is. Yeah. Amazing. Thanks, it's Donna. It's a pleasure. Oh, well, there you go. I love it when I bring something to you and you're like, hang on a minute, I hadn't thought of that. No, I know. E- absolutely. <laughs> it's good. <laughs> to think of what else I can put in there. Anyway, we hope that this episode today has left you feeling a lot... He- oh, I can't do it. We hope this... <laughs> <laughs> blooper reel. Anyway, we hope this episode today has left you feeling happier, healthier and better. 